once again into the Soccer OG. Hey, that's me, Max Bretos. This is episode 97. As always, a reminder to rate, review, download, subscribe, and tell a friend. We have some big news that I am going to share with you in a few minutes. So I will tell that to you, and you can tell your friends about this podcast and what is going to be happening at the World Cup. Very exciting news. But before we get to that, let you know what is on tap here. I'm really excited. I love the conversations I have, but I'm really excited about this one as we will be talking with Tosin Makinde, a.k.a. Luciano Scametti, a.k.a. Nigerian, Nigerian Scammers. He's going to explain all these names, all right? He's going to explain all these names, but he is going to join me here shortly. And this is a young man who uh, identified his passion for the sport and slowly but surely was putting some creative elements, being involved with some big brands and some networks. Now he's working with CBS Sports. And if you follow him on Twitter, which I highly recommend you do, Luciano Scametti is his current handle. Because uh, he does Serie A with uh, CBS. Real smart and real funny guy. So I can relate. At least on the funny part, right? <laughs> but I want to see how these guys get into business. Because, you know, that's the big question you get all the time from young people. What do I do? How do I get to ESPN? How do I host? You don't. What you do is create a brand and build it and be patient. And a lot of these guys are doing it and finding success. So we'll talk to him. So if you're interested in doing that, Take a listen and uh, certainly have a pen and, pe- uh, pen and paper out and take down some notes. In stoppage time, we will discuss my, I will unveil my starting 11 for the U.S. men's national team for the first game of the World Cup, November the 21st. Yes, there are some injury concerns that have come to the surface and I will take those into consideration, but stick around for that. And I'm very confident, they're not just my predictions, they're like a blend of my predictions along with what I think Greg Berhalter is going to do. And I'm usually, I, I, pretty, I usually have a pretty good radar for these things. This is the Soccer OG. Stand by for some massive news in five, ten seconds. Ten, nine. Before I get to that big news that I was going to tell you about, I want to say hello to everyone listening in India. So we take the data, and uh, my manager pointed out, we're getting a lot of downloads in India. And I've heard this from other places, my friend Juan Arango, who's been on this uh, podcast, and he's got an audience in India, and now he tweets stuff about Indians cricket, and he gets tons of likes and retweets. So we know it's a burgeoning market, a sophisticated market that loves the sport of soccer. Now, India doesn't have a big soccer league, but who's to say that doesn't happen? Who's to say there is not a push of investment into an Indian Super League for soccer or whatever they're going to call it? So hello to everyone in India. Glad to have you. I'm going to try and keep some topics here that will keep you interested because I value your listenership. So thank you. Also want to, well, no, I'll, I'll get to the LAFC news here. I mean, obviously, it's bursting at the seams how excited I am that LAFC are going to MLS Cup. But we have some massive news with regards to the World Cup. Been holding this until everything firmed up. But I can tell you now, the Soccer OG will be having a podcast slash simulcast on my YouTube under my name, Max Bretos. So go there. We'll have a daily soccer show about the World Cup. Soccer OG, World Cup Daily. You are the first to hear about it. So every day, if you didn't get to watch the games, if you didn't get a chance to wake up at 3 in the morning and you need a informative, funny, I'm going to say smart, smart, just an easy way for you to indulge all that information what is going to be a packed world cup because one of the flaws about the world cup is they are ramming this into that window it's a few less days than it normally would be so we have four games a day you can't watch all the games but i can and i will so tune in every day starting november the 20th we might even start earlier than that all the way to december 18th when we crown a champion I will have it here, and I promise you, 
you will get smarter. You will sound smarter. You will be able to, you won't have to dedicate as, of course, you want to dedicate 10 hours a day. I would encourage you, but not recommend it every day. Leave that to me and you're going to sound smart and we're going to have fun and it's going to be interactive. You guys, I'm going to encourage you to ask questions. We're going to have a betting angle. We're going to try and make you some money. <laughs> this is going to be a comprehensive, well thought out. I've already warned my family. I've wired up this house so that we can do this on a regular basis. We'll have some special guests pop in here from time to time, but it's going to be short and sweet and get you all the information. The Soccer OG World Cup Daily coming in a matter of days. We'll make a big announcement this week as well on my social media handles. But yeah, thrilling to see LAFC lift the Western Conference trophy. You know, being with the club from the beginning and seeing uh, the mostly ups, you know, some downs, and certainly off the pandemic where you were wondering when we would when would the club get back to this level? Well, they did. And, you know, I felt it. I, I, I watched this game against Austin FC, and I got to talk to a lot of people directly about... I heard a lot of people picking Austin FC, and there was no reason to pick them in that game. There wasn't. And the reasoning was, well, MLS Cup playoffs go against the grain. Well, they didn't this year, and that's because LAFC were such a dominant team. They are built for a playoff run, this team. And then the other thing I would hear that Austin beat them twice this season. I go, are you crazy? You think they're going to beat them three times? I mean, that was a masterclass. And hats off to Austin FC. And I got to be honest, I don't know if they're going to get back there because you look at that roster and I don't know how they did it. Hats off to everyone involved with that club. Uh, Josh Wolf certainly is the coach. Anthony Precourt, who, by the way, I've had some conversations with Anthony Precourt. He's a pretty good dude. He's a pretty good Claudio Reyna. Anthony Precourt's a solid dude. I know he's probably enemy number one for what he did in Columbus, but uh, he's been vindicated by moving this team to Austin and getting that club to make it here with his incredible fan base. But, you know, it's going to be tough for them to get back because a lot of teams that didn't make the playoffs or fell short, Seattle, Portland, LA Galaxy, they're all going to be chomping to get on the heels of LAFC. But that was a... a Three-zip win. It should have been five or six, if not more. I mean, they had 25, 26 shots. It was a masterclass. Didn't have to use Gareth Bale. I mean, we don't know what's going on there, but they they pulled out Giorgio Collini at the half, too, and we were told it wasn't an injury situation. And Philadelphia Union, later that night, were victorious, meaning for the first time in 19 years, we have a... One versus one MLS Cup final, meaning the the best team in the West, the best team in the East. And for so long, we were told the regular season doesn't matter. That you know the playoffs, with especially with one game, cater to the underdogs, and they probably still do, but not this year. We told you about that, and we had Matt Doyle on there, and we said if ever was going to be a year one versus one, he felt confident about it. I felt confident about it. These are two fantastic teams that made it this far. And that's why I feel this is going to be the most anticipated MLS Cup final. The best, I don't know yet. But just with everything, the players, the clubs, and the fact that they were the best of the best, this is the best final we've had. And I, I will say, the bar is pretty low. <laughs> I mean, back 2003, it was San Jose and Chicago. San Jose beat Chicago 4-2 in that final. It was a good final. I think that was the last game for Landon Donovan with the earthquakes and then you have then you have the galaxy which on their own merits were a big draw and we're talking about david beckham landon donovan robbie Keane. they were a big draw when they made the finals and that team made three finals but they would face not to take anything away from the dynamo or they played the dynamo twice and they played the New England Revolution, those teams kind of uh, got on to a good start, but they were always the big underdogs. This is different. These are two heavyweights. This is Tyson and George Foreman. Even though, did they fight? Yeah, they did fight. This is Ali vs. Frazier. Howard Cosell kids, by the way. For those that, by the way, that icy here, I, got, I made a little cocktail. Late at night, talking soccer OG. So, 
just kept it keeping it lively here. But this is going to be the best showpiece event the league has ever had. I think Toronto FC, Seattle, that was the closest we came to it. Remember, they played in 2016. Seattle won 2017. Toronto won. I'd say that 2017 final was right there with anticipation. I was there working for ESPN for that one. So anticipation-wise, that was right there. And obviously, it being a rematch, that's important. But this is something else. So this could really be a, a breaking point in a good way for Major League Soccer. It's uh, it's moving in the right direction slowly. Sometimes not that slowly, but certainly surely. We're going to get to our guest here, Tosin McKinday. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. So much again, busy week. As we've said here, uh, the, the leagues are s- squeezing everything they can into the season before the World Cup. And literally, the European leagues will end a week before the World Cup. It's insanity. Now here, Paul Pogba might be injured. There's a list of American players. It's not going to be pretty. We're going to enjoy this World Cup. And again, just a reminder, check out the Soccer OG World Cup Daily. Every day during the World Cup, we have you covered. It's going to be sweet 30-minute shows. So you can pop it in the morning, listen to it, be ready, Go to the sports book if you want to make some money. We'll have you poised every day for the World Cup. And we'll have a little something extra with regards to the U.S. men's national team, anticipating some live streams and some special guests. Then uh, getting back to this, but this is crazy. And I hope, and I said this last week, I hope there's not another Winter World Cup. It's so difficult. This FIFA's put a huge burden on the players, the coaches, the leagues. I know most people don't care about the leagues, but the leagues is what we tune in for. The leagues is where the money is at, right, for these players. They want to go to the World Cup because they want to represent their country, and it's the World Cup. But if they had to choose, they would pick the leagues. It's like, do you want to do this every four years? Or do you want to? If they had to, if there was a line in the sand that said you either play for your club or your country, they're going to play for their club, 100% of them. So uh, hopefully we don't do this again because it's really, and we'll talk to Tosin about that and, Get his thoughts. I'm pumped. LA, not, I'm pumped. Listen, I'm pumped not just for LAFC. If you're a fan of Philadelphia Union, we know we do have some, some listeners out there in the Philadelphia area. I'm pumped that it's Philadelphia too. This is a fantastic final. If you're going to be in LA, come out to some of the events. Look for me. Say hello. Soccer OG popping up everywhere. It's a big week for soccer. It's a big week for this podcast. We're getting ready for our World Cup. Let's get into our special guest, Tosin McKinde, in the business end, is next. We're back here on the Soccer OG. Time now for the business end and uh, thrilled to be welcoming in Tosin McKinde, who we also know as Luciano Scametti. Tosin, let's go through the nicknames. Okay. Because I think you you really... You, you really got people's attention. He works with CBS Sports, amongst many other things, and incredible brands through the years. But tell me about the nicknames, and what is your preferred name of choice? Okay, so I prefer to be called Tosin, which is my birth name, but um, it was about with 2022, so about 2010, I made a Tumblr called Nigerian Scams. Um, it just out of, just because it was funny. I was like, what, what, what would be a funny name to get people 20 years old? And like, you know, in college, just doing something dumb. Like, how do you come up with a name that kind of makes you want to follow you? So that stuck. And when I made my Twitter, I stuck to Nigerian scams. And just that's what it just became. It just became what it is now. So now I just try to have a play on, you know, the word scams with different, like, football people. So there's a time I was using Scammy Abraham. There's a time I use now because I'm a, you know, after watch Syria. I love the Scammy Abraham. That was solid. Yeah. Yeah. Because of uh, my job, like I love watching Napoli. That's my favorite team, and Osimhen's there. So shamelessly, like I'm a Napoli fan. So <clears throat> I was like, I love Spalletti. I love what Spalletti's doing, and his Luciano Scametti just stopped. it worked. So, yeah, so it just <laughs> kind of fit. So and it's subject to change, I'm sure. Of course, um, yeah, it's going to change probably during the World Cup. Someone's going to do something dumb and have to change that. So, but in the soccer space, you've really trademarked scams, and right. that's. That's great work, and I want to talk about because you you were mentioning it. You're you're still getting started in this industry. You've had soccer. Well, talk about the connection you've had with the sport and how it's allowed you to um, you hit the ground running, really, with 
being involved on a content side and we've seen your work, uh, the man on the street stuff at CBS, and now you're doing more with the city. Yeah. And I know it's hard. And I was saying earlier on the podcast for people wanting to get in the business. And I always, you know, have people come and say, how do you get in there? And I go, well, it's a lot different. I'm probably not the right person to ask because it's not like it was when I started, but being able to find your passion of sports and getting in a lane where you know your voice will be heard. And you've done that uh, brilliantly to the point where now you're on, on, on a national level. But uh, tell us a little bit about your love for the sport and how you were able to um, make that into a profession where I, really I, I've been noticing, and obviously on tw Twitter's a powerful thing. I wish we could all make money off our tweets because you're an excellent, excellent voice on Twitter. You're funny and you're smart, uh, but people pay attention to that as well. So, Starting with soccer, knowing that that was something you're going to get into and doing it professionally, what has worked for you? Actually, funny enough, I never wanted to get into soccer. That's the funniest <laughs> thing about it all. I never, <laughs> ever, I never wanted to get into the sport. <clears throat> like, obviously, I love, as everyone knows me, I've been watching football since I was a kid. Like, my first ever game I went to was Nigeria, England, 1994, um, in the original Wembley Stadium. So I've watched football my whole entire life. Um, <clears throat> I moved to New York because of my ex-girlfriend and because I wanted to get into fashion. So that's why I moved into New York because I wanted to be a fashion stylist. And um, I moved in over to advertising. I never, ever once considered working in the sport. I just thought it was just, first of all, I didn't think it was ever going to happen. Two, I didn't even know how to get into it. Three, I was just like, this isn't for me. So it wasn't until 2018, that World Cup, it was a really weird, weird year because I got fired from a job and I started selling cars. Um, I started selling brand new Audis. Um, had nothing to do what I was doing. Like on the on the on the car lot. Yeah, I was literally I was did you, a car salesman. Did you ever use the line? Uh, what do I what do I have to do to, to make you leave in this car today? Hundred percent did that. Hundred <laughs> percent did that. Did it work? <laughs> uh, I mean, I sold a brand new Audi Q7, a custom one for like hundred G's. So oh, those I mean, cars, those cars sell themselves. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, it, it kind of worked. I but, can um, see it. That's awesome. Yeah. So I sold cars moved over to Burberry and a couple of my good friends, um, basically brothers, um, one of them, a couple of them was just like, we should start our own brand. Like we should do our own thing, like our own YouTube show. And I was like, cool. It's going to be the face of the brand. They're like, you are. I'm like, no, I don't put my face on social. That's not what I do. Like, I don't like doing that. And they're like, no, no, you don't have a choice. So that's how Shirtless Plantain Show started. Um, and we were doing YouTube videos. Now we moved over to podcast. And that's really where like I got my first four into soccer and, um, just things took off from there. Like four years late, four years ago, I was just starting with Charlotte Plantation Show. Now, you know, I'm working with CBS and it's insane to see the growth I've personally done and just see the way the growth has started in this country. So I'm just more so proud of how much soccer grow in this country, more so myself. I, I think it's interesting. You said you wanted to, you initially were in, wanted to get into fashion. And I think there's a, a connection or there should be a connection between uh, fashion, the arts, and soccer. Because I always say this to people, we present soccer, football in a way that's, uh, it's a bit nerdy. And that's fine. I don't mean to say that as a, in, a, in a derogatory way. But when I see the great players, and I see NBA players do this, and they wear the jerseys, and it's part of uh, what they would wear to go out. And there's a there's a fashion element and the music, the musical part of it all. It's a very cool sport when you look at the the athletes and how it trickles down from all of there. Uh, how have you seen that connection? And I, I want I wish we could plug into it more. I don't know how we do that in a way, but there is the fashions. Obviously, uh, we were texting back and forth and he showed me the old Samuel Etsu sleeveless shirt. And I go, that's amazing. I could wear that out in a club and I'd get right through the velvet ropes. Even if I didn't know who I was, it was just these kind of things that people are plugging into from all walks of life that shows that, I mean, this is the NBA model, NBA and soccer, where you have, you can be an open book with what you wear, what you listen to. I find it very important. Are we doing enough job, a good enough job to kind of blend those lines? I think it's growing. Um, one of the things that I was really impressed with this year is seeing the Daily Paper um, collab with Ajax and you're seeing it off-white with Milan. So it's it's growing in a sense, right? But I just think when I look at this country, for example, there's a missing piece. And I've spoken to you know, a few players professionally. Kellen Acosta's on my podcast. So big shout out to LAFC to make it yeah. to the finals. Very good dresser. I tell yeah. him that every time. I've said this before and I'll say, and I'll say it till I'm blue in the face. Kellen Acosta is... Outside of Hector Bellerin, probably the best dressed football player in the world. 
I'm not, and I'm not just saying that just because like that's Bellerin and Acosta top of the list. Yes, for me, like that's it. And and I, and there's nobody for me like outside of like Hector and Kellen. For me, there's no one I see that's like that inspires me as far as like style wise is Hector and uh, Kellen, which is insane for me to say, but yeah. But I feel in this country, there's a lot of personalities in the national team. Like you have your Tim Ways, for example, who's another great dresser as well, who they don't know how to really market these players in a sense because there's players who have the big personality who have the the style of of awareness and it's like just how do you mesh this sport and that's kind of like where I feel like I want to get into that space where it's just like I'm that kind of liaison between the football world and like the culture world so that's kind of how like I see myself sometimes because the sport has grown immensely I remember when I first moved here in 2001 from London in order to watch football you have to you have some shoddy cave remember the 04 AFCON like me and my dad, a VHS player. Exactly. Me, my dad, my uncles, we all held it up in front of this really small TV, just illegally watching this, watching this thing. And now you can watch, you know, you can watch it on your phone wherever you're going. So it's growing a lot. I think the next step is to really just now how do you massage the, you know, the cultural aspect into the, into the sport. So that's, and the World Cup's in four years. So it's time to like start to do it. I need a, I need a stylist. Yeah. See, there's a, <laughs> Well, all these, these athletes who have stylists, it's too. It's like we see that in every other walk of life, but there's a dollar sign attached to that too. Sure. And the the uh, designers would like a piece of that. Who wouldn't want Kellen Acosta wearing their suits, walking around? Or Hector, no. or uh, who, Tim Wea. This, is, this would be very cool. So I see it working. I'm excited about that because we want to be associated with the coolest sport. And I know it is. And it's, it's portrayed that way around the world. We just got to portray it better here. For sure. And that's kind of like where I feel like the missing piece is like now it's grown, right? Like it's football has grown immensely in the sport. Like, I mean, you've seen it. Like last week I was at the CBS, um, the the thing in Brooklyn that we did and to see people just coming out just because, you know, they watch Champions League, even the one in Philadelphia for the Premier League, the NBC did. It's like you're not starting to see people coming in droves just to celebrate the sport. So the love is here. People want to like get into the sport. So how do you now, how do you now try How do you now do that? And we can come in a lot of ways. I did want to ask you, because before we talk about football here and we have the World Cup, so this is we okay. we can talk, we can we can save the fashion discussion for another time. We got a World sure. Cup to talk about. But for what you did, you you said it was almost somewhat by accident that you got into football, even though that was your passion, but certainly didn't look at it as uh, a means to make a living. But you you've done that, and certainly at your young age, you're of a very high ceiling, but People ask me how they should, what's the right thing to do to get in this, this business? What would your advice be for someone who wants to, uh, whether, let's just stick to, I mean, I, I, it's kind of open-ended with sports, but what, what would you suggest they start if they wanted to be a, an influencer, be someone in content, someone that could go to CBS and work for them? What, what advice would you give them? Be yourself. I know it sounds super cliche, find your niche and be yourself. I think for me, a lot of times I tell people the way I tweet, the way I, the way I behave online, most people, if not all people can't do that. It's very reckless. Like don't, don't do it. Like, like be yourself though. Like find a way that that's you. And once you find your niche, once you find that it's consistency, always be consistent with your content. If you're somebody who's heavy into stats, make that your thing. If you're someone who's heavy into like, you know, the culture aspect like myself, be consistent with it. Just find out what your niche is. Find out who you are in the, in a sense. Just be consistent. And just don't be annoying too. Like everyone is trying to like be in this industry. Everyone's trying to do something. But how do you find a way that like it's not annoying to people? Because that's that's the one thing. It's like no one wants to kind of be around somebody who's annoying. You know what I mean? So find yourself, find your niche, and don't be annoying. And you know, that's great advice. Yeah, sometimes sometimes it might not work out. You know, like I've tell people all the time, there's so many opportunities I can't tell you about that that I've missed out on. There's so many opportunities I wish I had. There's so many things I wish I did before, but don't have no regrets. I mean, we're all trying to learn every single day. Um, and it is what it is. Like football's grown a lot that now in the next four years is gonna be a lot of opportunities. So if you're if you're doing this, be very consistent. Um, so that's really it. Consistency is key. Being yourself is great advice, but it's it's easier said than done. And I've I've actually struggled with it through the years. And I remember when I first got in the business, I was imitating other people and I, and your social media aspects interesting because I've never rolled my eyes with any of your tweets. I go, that's, that's him. And some people go, that sounds like you're it's like someone else and you can tell, and boy, I'm, I'm guilty of that all the time, but it's hard, but you got to find that. You got to find that, that ability where you don't force it, 
and don't be annoying, but find the what speaks to you and say that, and then do that in, in every walk of life that you do. So again, I, I would attest to that. Being yourself is key. It's hard and it, it's crazy to think of it, but you almost have to work a lot of being yourself. Yeah. That's really it. I mean, there's so many like different things I wish I could like talk further about, but it's just literally just be yourself. Um, people can tell. It's a good starting point. Yourself. Yeah. People can tell. People can tell like if you're being they can yourself. Tell. So let's talk a, a son of a, a Nigerian family, a big fan yeah. of African football. I, to me, when we talk about the World Cup, and I said we'll, we could just jump into this, when I think of some of my favorite memories in the World Cup, it involved African teams. Uh, I've mentioned on this podcast before, in 1990, when I was <clears throat> senior in high school, oh boy, oh boy, uh, <laughs> I was in high school and we had a Colombian teacher and he would let us into his classroom in between to watch World Cup games. And the game that opened up was Cameroon, Argentina. When I saw Cameroon, beat Argentina I was just I've never seen anything like that just I didn't really know where Cameroon was yeah. and I said they're beating the champions yeah. and then again in 98 Senegal France these are great memories and both those teams had deep runs and we've talked about Nigeria with JJ Okocha and this incredible team in 1994 that unfortunately fell short in the World Cup but just memories of African teams whether in the World Cup or in a build-up well, what has stood out to you because they've the big question I want to ask you, we'll get to that in a moment, is will we have that breakthrough? Uh, Ghana in uh, 2010 that made the quarters and the controversial Luis Suarez handball that probably prevented them getting the semis. It's close, but it feels like it may have been closer in the 90s, and I wonder if it's getting closer to there. So hold that for a moment. We'll talk about it. But what, what were those great teams, those great players that were instrumental for you in putting uh, African football on a higher, a higher plane. Obviously, um, we start with Roger Miller. Um, everyone always remembers Roger Miller and his dance. Nick, never forget Roger Miller. Um, George Weah winning Ballon d'Or, even though he never played in the World Cup, did a lot for us. But then you start looking at individual players like Kanu and Okocha. Um, if you ask the Arsenal fan of a certain generation or where they're from, if you're a Nigerian or Arsenal fan, like a lot of Arsenal fans became, you know, because of Kanu. You also have some Chelsea fans because of Baba Yaro, who was like at the time the youngest player that played the Champions League. So you have these icons like a coach just dribbling all the time. And, you know, my generation, you kind of have the Etos of the world and like the Lawrence and the Jeremy's. And there's so many different players. Like I remember growing up watching even the South African team that won AFCON 96, you get Lucas Redibis and all those guys. So, you know, there's so many individual players that kind of built this up for them. You know, like I remember my first memory of Nigeria was 1996 Olympics. Like that I can physically remember. I remember we beat Brazil. I remember there's a sound, there's a song that we used to sing, like when Bebeto go cry, like we're making fun of Bebeto when he was crying, we beat them. So we beat Argentina we beat Brazil. We won the Olympics in 96. So that really put us on the maps. And there's also the kits as well. Like Nigeria's had some amazing kits over the years. And even the sleeveless Cameroon jersey we were talking about, like things like that kind of put people on the map. And then when these players are doing well overseas, like I remember Tony Yaboa when he scored that goal for Leeds, Things like that, like put the, you know, put people on alert. Like, okay, these guys are doing well. Like even the IX95 team, you had Finiti George on that team. You had Kanu on that team. So these players are individually doing well with their club teams. They come to the national team and they do well and they become icons throughout the world. So I think now the world is starting to become really global to the point where I think that people didn't know how African footballers were in the 90s. You didn't know how to play against them, right? So you played against Nigeria team, you've never seen them before. You'd never know how they like tactically how they are. You can't scout them because you've never seen them. Now in the 20, you know, 2022, you can scout the team like that. And the other players are not playing the same leagues. You have Victor Osman in Syria and you have, you know, Olaino in Syria as well. So you have all these players who are now playing. So it's, it's, it's hard because now everyone's kind of playing the same in a weird way. There's not that individual like way style of teams playing. Like my dad is such a big proponent of like, you know, back in the day, like you have the guys who wear number two, like as a right back and your number three is your left back and your number 10 is your best. That's the way my dad sees football. And I'm trying to tell him like, the sport has changed a lot. And his mind is like, nah, 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 nah. It has to be that way. Your wingers have to touch the boots. And it's like, not nah, that like, now you have inverted wingers, you have inverted left backs, you know, so. He's not having it. <laughs> he understands it, right? My dad gets it, like, he, he understands it. He just, in his mind, it's like, nah, this is the way it's supposed to be. So the sport has changed a lot in the last, like, 20, 30 years, for sure. It's funny when you, you, you rip through those African players and how they're just household names. I remember Tariba West, and he, he matched the hair with the jersey, and 
it just popped off the screen. And of course, Didier Drogba uh, with the Ivory Coast, you mentioned the Chelsea team. It's uh, there are players that you can get behind. And it was, I saw a tweet of yours. I believe it was yours where people always said that they could associate with Messi and no one ever said that Samuel Eto'o, but we probably should have put him on, on that level. And even in retirement and he's still very active and visible and, Still looks like a million bucks when you see him at the games. He looks the same. So uh, these are the, the, it's clearly, I guess, with African football, it's the players that, that have uh, grabbed the attention and we wait for the national teams to do it. But I, the time it's going to come, whether it's, it's just tricky, maybe Qatar. I'm, I couldn't tell you for sure, but there are, if, first of all, African qualifying is ex- ex- extremely difficult. You could argue the best African teams not here in Algeria. Uh, Algeria, Senegal, certainly up there. The five teams that did make it this time, we'll go through them. Senegal will be in Group A. Um, I have the list here. You have. I got a Senegal in Group A, Tunisia, Group D, Morocco, Group F, Cameroon, G, Ghana, H. Nigeria didn't make it, and they released a jersey which looked amazing, and it broke my heart that we won't see it in Qatar. I'm sure you felt the same about that, Tosin. I, so I didn't like the jersey at first, but then I saw it on person. Like I saw it when we when he had a friendly against Algeria. I was like, oh my God, I was wrong. I was like, this actually looks really, really good. Um, and it's funny because that style of kit is like a, because I'm Yoruba, like that's the side of Nigeria I'm from. It's like more of a Yoruba type of design that we use with that kit. So I kind of felt bad. I was like, dang, I'm kind of like shutting my own people, but it was really good. Like I really like the kit a lot. It's, it's Nike and Nigeria, like ever since 2018, has been both. They've just been doing whatever they feel like. So it's been a good marriage between the two. So it's, uh, it's funny. The players are the best models. It's like you can't have a mannequin with a jersey on. You got to see, you got to see it on the players. I listed those five countries. Uh, obviously, the groups make a big difference in how successful. Where do you think the African success can come from when we look at those five teams? Senegal. Um, I Great. don't think Tunisia is up there yet. Um, I don't think they're ready. Um, they have talent. Um, when I look at Ghana, they're a wild card. Um, I do like their new coach. I do like the fact they recruit a lot of uh, a lot of English based, like you know, a lot of foreign diaspora kids to say that. Um, yeah. But I don't think Ghana's ready yet. And there's the other Tough ones. Group. Like, yeah, Cameroon. I just they're so Jekyll and Hyde. I don't know what they're gonna present. And Morocco, they obviously are talented, but I just I think it's weird because like a lot of the francophone countries like they do well in in the, in the continental right like egypt is the are the kings of africa but yeah. egypt never like does anything in the, on the world stage like outside of 2018 the last time they went to the world cup was 1990 so like it's it's really weird with that but i think talent wise senegal has it um from top to bottom their talents they got a really good goalkeeper get a back, good back line good midfield and obviously have sadio mane and their coach you know is a legend he's won afcon as a coach could have won as a player but you know, he's, he's done well. So yeah, I think Senegal is the strongest African team right now. It's in the World Cup, at least. Yeah, the, I like Morocco a lot. But I, when I saw them play the United States, I was like, wait a minute, there are some holes in this team. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of these teams are very highly ranked. Ghana, unfortunately, in a group with Portugal, Uruguay, and Korea, and all those teams, you could make a case to win that group. Um, maybe Portugal and Uruguay, the favorites, but, you know, Ghana and Korea are got a ton of talent and could certainly... Uh, make it difficult for everyone in that group. Uh, Tunisia, Tunisia made it. I think they fill out the numbers. They, they have such a, uh, they have so much ground to make up. And obviously in a group with France and Denmark, who are both regarded as teams that could win it, maybe Denmark, not on that top line, but not far away. And then Cameroon as well, I think is, is a good point. Now you mentioned Senegal. I, I've gone through these. Have you done a bracket yet? Have you? I'd never do brackets. So <laughs> the reason why I don't do brackets. Oh, count your blessings. Only reason why I don't do brackets, I've never done it. I did one in high school for NCAA. Um, and ever since then, I was like, I don't do fantasy football. I don't do brackets. I just vibe and that's it. I cannot do anything else. And the sport's already stressful enough. I'm not doing that. <laughs> I'm not it does. That. It ruins, it can ruin the, the games for you. Because like, if you pick the team, like, I mean, God forbid you picked, like when you're doing the selections, you picked, say, Ecuador. Or let's say you picked Netherlands to make a final. And all of a sudden, you're playing your favorite team, like in this case, the U.S. And you're like, oh, boy, I got to kind of pull for the Netherlands here. I don't, you don't want to put in that situation. So okay. that said, I still did a bracket. Okay. Who'd you have? Who'd <laughs> I you had have Senegal winning the group. Okay. And I have them playing the U.S. in the round of 16, which would be amazing. And remember, Ghana played the U.S. there in uh, the South Africa World Cup prior to them making the quarterfinals against Uruguay. It's uh, 
it's it's obviously um uh it would throw that World Cup in in little topsy turvy situation because no one really would have thought Senegal or USA would be a quarter finalist, but under these circumstances they did. But without filling a bracket, Tosin, I think Senegal can win that group. I mean, Netherlands yeah. are the favorite, but they've had their issues recently. You have Qatar and Ecuador. Is that a with the talent they have and the thing I like about Senegal, they did well in the last World Cup. Obviously, they have their their talisman. And the, when they do make World Cups, they generally put their hand up. We saw that in 98 as well. The front. No, it, that was 02. That was 02. I'm oh, sorry, 02. Sorry. Yeah, that was when they beat France. Yeah, with Tony Silva and everybody. I remember that. And their coach was the captain at that time of the Senegalese national team. So it's for me, their talent is there, right? Senegal is very, very talented. It's just, can they put it together? I know sometimes like they, and I feel the pitch is going to be better, right? Like when I was watching AFCON this year, I was like, ah, pitches sometimes are just, you know, it, it's, there's it's little things, right? And I spoke to funny enough, I spoke to Mo, Mo, Mo Adu about this last week. It's the infrastructure sometimes in, in, with our African countries. The talent is there. Like we all know the talent is there. It's just that, can we get the infrastructure right? Can we pay the players on time? Can we make sure the camp is in harmony? So it's those little things like, that's why when you look at it, Brazil, right? Brazil's already prepared for this tournament. They already know their goal is to win. Argentina, same thing. Infrastructure's there. But it's like with us in these in these African countries, like we have the talent. We have the desire to win. It's just, can the people higher above do things to make these players and, you know, these players feel at home, you know? So you can even see like in some of the players that play from like, you know, the Alex Wobies, they can tell you the difference between playing for like an Everton versus going back home, playing for Nigeria. It's tough. It's like, it's like night and day. So it's not to like, be rude or anything to to our people back home. It's just that we just want you to pull your finger out a little bit and do better. So that's really it. So I'm not comparing this to African football, but I get the feeling some of our American players feel that too, like Pulisic at Chelsea. And they come to US soccer, which is not really this huge federation, sexy federation. And they're like, wait a minute. It's a, it's a big, it's a big departure. But talking about Africa, I, I think that's fair to say is that infrastructure is probably the biggest thing that's prevented them from going through. Was it Forgive my uh, my ignorance here, but was it Ivory Coast that they had? It was it a bad World Cup, and then they had, they kept them in the. It was like they they kept them in a camp for like a week when they're trying to go back to their clubs because they. Like that. It's something like one of those countries like that, and it's it's just unfair to the players. Like I look at Nigeria, crazy. I look at Nigeria's national team right now, and I said it in December when we fired Granit Raw. I was like, that's the stupidest thing we could do. You're three weeks out for a tournament with a coach who knows his team like the back of his hand. You're gonna hire somebody who doesn't really know these players like that. And then you're going to try to take him to the World Cup qualifiers. It's so dumb. Let him, let him, let him fail first before you do it. And that's why Nigeria is not in the World Cup because we infrastructurally wise messed it up. Like we completely messed it up. Like you have now probably the best striker in Syria, just as Victor Simon. And honestly, I think if Nigeria qualified, you would see a lot more people that, you know, want to play for the national team. You probably have Eze on the national team now. Probably Michael Lisa on the national team. It's just, you messed this up to the point now. It's just, you're playing. They don't catch. want it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so. That's a yeah, it, it, it's unfortunate. And who knows if that gets that improves. We certainly hope so, because you want them to they want to go. You want these players to go to the national team and feel the same way they do with their clubs and run through a wall. And they still do. It's just you don't want the burden. You want the burden. But it, it is that case. They're not just in African football, but a lot of countries all over the world. You, you mentioned your conversation with Mo Adu, and I find it the we don't know what it's going to look like. Uh, we know there's going to be these stadiums. We know everything's going to be in close quarters. It's going to be state-of-the-art venues. I'm sure these these, these fields are going to look amazing. I think the I heard someone say, because the air-conditioned and the enclosed nature of it, the, the, the surfaces are going to be fast, which you imagine will help the technical teams. We'll see how it goes. I mean, the more I say that, I say, okay, the, the, the elite teams will do well because of these circumstances, but they don't know. It's going to be different from them. I don't know what these close quarters of all these countries – staying at the same hotel, maybe staying in the same hotel as the team they're going to play is going to look like. But perhaps it will cater to a team from CONCACAF or a team from Africa or a team from Asia or the Middle East who are hosting it from making the breakthrough with, without knowing everything. Because I think we're all going to be surprised when we see that first ball kick. What does your gut say about how Qatar will dictate things at this World Cup? I think it's going to be an organized mess. This is really <laughs> what I think it's going to be. It's the biggest organized mess ever. I think a lot of us don't want to really kind of associate because we all know like the politics and everything. But I think once the ball kicks off, we're going to be watching football. Unfortunately for all of us, we're all addicted to the sport. Um, we're all going to watch every single game. Sadly, you know, that's just, that's just how it is. Um, but my gut is telling me it's going to be, it's going to be a solid World Cup. I just, 
personally, I just think Brazil is going to win. I don't know why. I just think Brazil is going to win the World Cup. It's kind of really like where it starts for me and it ends for me. It's like, I think it's just time for Brazil to finally, like, it's been like, what, 20 years since Brazil won? That's a long time for Brazil. Yeah. So, <laughs> and I think this is their most balanced squad they've had in a very, very long time. So I just feel it's going to be a good tournament, but Brazil, for me, are my favorites, or Argentina, but I think Brazil for sure. Wow. I was just watching all this, this footage from the Brazilian elections, which have to play a part because I was like, people chanting for Neymar because he was, a, not to go on a political, it's impossible not to, but Neymar was affiliated with Bolsonaro and they want him to face all the charges about his indiscretions financially. And who knows how that plays, plays a role? Probably not. I think these players will incubate themselves pretty well. But um, the Brazilian, I pick them every time. And I think I've picked them every time since 2010. And they always kind of hit a wall somewhere. I mean, obviously, famously against the Germans in 2014. The Belgian game against 2018 was really frustrating because I had a little money riding on it, Tosin. And I was like, what, what's going on? So uh, that's happening. But I agree with you. This is a pretty flawless team. And I think of some players that like can't even crack that team that are their best player on their team in Europe. Uh, like a Bruno Guimaraes, who I think is a fringe guy, and he could be one of the five or six best players in the Premier League, but maybe not good enough to play for Brazil. But it's uh, that I would tend to think that it will favor those squads, but who knows how it, how it ends up. But I think that's, what's so compelling. I think we, uh, it was an interesting conversation about the pol politics and what's happened in Qatar, but you know, I, we should cover that, yeah. but I, I'm with you. I want to watch the games, and I think we've been talking about it a long time, and I don't want to be flippant about it, but it's it's uh, it's something that should be addressed. I know Fox has been criticized because they say they're not going to address it. I think you should address it a little bit, but it's just part of the, it's just part of this World Cup. I, that all said, I think what I want to take away from it, that we shouldn't do this again, and whatever happened with Russia and Qatar, these should be looked at. Um, processes that maybe shouldn't be duplicated by FIFA. Certainly a winter world cup shouldn't happen again. Not, I'm not saying it won't, but maybe we can take away from these experiences. And by the way, the middle East should always have a world cup. They really should, Yeah. but maybe we should take away from this, how to do things, how not to do them. Yeah. I mean, that's just my thing is just a winter world cup is just insane. Like I've watched probably every world cup since to my memory, like 98, like obviously I watched 94, but I wasn't that aware of what was going on, but 98 onwards, I've seen the world cup. So to have a World Cup flip in the middle of the season is like, <clears throat> what what is this? So I definitely think, um, you know, more countries should have it, but it's just how do you balance out the, the schedules with like the heat and everything? Because obviously Qatar is hot. Just keep it a buck. Well, Didn't even mention that, yeah. yeah. So Qatar is hot. African countries, you know, like in the middle of Ju July, it's a like rainy season. So it's just, especially West African countries. So it's how do you balance this out with like trying to be fair to the rest of the world and trying to be aware of the political, you know, you know, political intricacies of the world. So, yeah. Because football, the, football I mean, no, no matter how much we try to slice and dice it, football is political. I don't know what it says. Well, I, when, I was at, when I was at ESPN ahead of the Brazil World Cup, every time they we, we came in, and I, I was okay with it for a while, but every time we came in to do a story, it was a really macabre story. It was the disappearing, these Chilean players in a World Cup game. It was the uh, political upheaval in these countries. And I was like, I just want to talk. I understand we have to talk about this. I want to talk about the games a little bit, but so, so this sport more than any other shoulders the politics. It's the big global game. There's no doubt it about is. it, but they shoulder it more than any other sport. And I guess we just have to deal with it uh, and balance it the right way and it, and realize it's it's far, far from perfect. Yeah, I mean, it's there's you're going to offend somebody somehow, <laughs> some way. Someone's going to get offended. And it, it just, unfortunately, that's the, that's the part and parcel of football. Like, it's such a global sport, but like, you also have to remember, like, that's just part and parcel of the game. I hate the fact that like it, it is so political, but it is like that's just how that's the nature of the, the sport that we're in. You know, if football wasn't such a big mammoth, like, you know, we wouldn't be here talking about it like this. So yeah. And on the flip side, it brings us all together. It's that one it concept. We're all so different all over the world. And we I I've always loved this what I what drew me to the sport originally was how these national teams were a reflection off of the country. We know Germans play a certain way. And it's a reflection on their culture. Brazilians play. Thank goodness for the Brazilian way. I mean, I don't know where our sport would be without, you know, when I saw Anthony doing that spin and, you know, the British media crucified him and I was like, wait a minute. I go, we should encourage this to a degree, obviously. But those moments where Neymar, that those are the moments where we advance the game.
in my estimation, by showing we're not limited. But just to get back, these countries are a reflection of who they are. And uh, that's when I first started covering, it helped me uh, learn more culturally about countries, learn more about uh, cultures. And that was just incredibly invaluable to me. And so proud that I picked this sport as the sport I wanted to do. And I love it. I love flags. I love languages. All of it comes in there. It's perfect. It's perfect, Tosin. One of the things about football is like it makes you so aware, like the world, like, you know, random countries like that. <laughs> if they put you in like a game show, you're like, oh, I know that because of football. Jeopardy, Tosin. We'll do a crush. Yeah. Let's make some money. Absolutely. Like you go in Jeopardy and like, oh, why do you know this sport? Well, may not have played there in Europa League. That's why. That's why I know it. That's exactly why I know it. So, what uh, is Azerbaijan? How did you? Yeah. Oh, we'll clean it out. What is a? Just before we put the World Cup aside, what was a, the the memory? I know you, you're very close to your family with through soccer. Was there a moment? I know you may have touched on it that you fondly remember. You mentioned the England Nigeria game as the first, but maybe a World Cup moment sitting with your family saying this is this is uh this is my happy place easily i'll give you one uh 90, we, we lost um i should give you a fun i'll give you background to this so um 98 world cup my dad had tickets for me to go to the world cup so france, 98 like, yeah me and my dad was supposed to go together literally the day my dad's going to france he's like no you can't go like because my dad's a niger uh federation supporter so he had like he's going there to sell jerseys and stuff like hats so I remember when we played against Spain. That was when Nigeria beat the 3-2 and Alice scored that shot from outside. And my dad called us just like insanely happy. My mom was happy. My brother was happy. We were all just excited. And it's like to see like this sport has brought us all together, you know, just, just to watch this. So that was, that was one of those moments. Um, I have a sadder one where Nigeria lost to Cameroon in the 2000, 2000, was it 2000 uh, AFCON that we lost or 2002? One of those, it was 2000, yeah, it was 2000. Um, my mom's hairdresser at the time is a Cameroonian lady and she was talking so much smack when we, when we lost to them. And like, that's what I realized. Okay, this sport is insane. This sport right here is like, this is my mom, one of my mom's friends who now like, we don't like her because she was talking trash to us. So. Yeah, those are two, those are two memories I can I can never forget those two. I have a funnier one actually. Ninety six. Bring it. Uh, so the reason I'm a United fan is to troll my dad. My dad's a big time Liverpool fan. So when he moved to London in the eighties, I became a Liverpool fan. I watched the John Barnes game. And when I he, I was born ninety, my brother was born ninety two. It's like right, I'm gonna make my boys football fans. Like what's what team can I like? He's trying to make us Liverpool fans. My brother always followed me, so I told my dad like I don't want this Liverpool jersey. So. I ended up picking United, Andy Cole joining 95, completely sold. That was my team. And my brother was like, you know what? My big brother's a United fan. I'm a United fan. So 96 FA Cup, this is when they wore the spice suits. You know when Liverpool wore those spice suits and they yes. lost it. Yeah, so that was that. Eric Cantona scored a volley from outside the outside the box and at Wembley and United 1-2-1. Um, my dad was pissed because he was like, now my boys are celebrating in front of me. So he takes us, me and my brother, out the house, kicks us out the house, locks the door, goes to sleep. My mom comes home. Mind you, my mom's pregnant. My mom looks at us like, what are you doing outside? Dad kicked us out the house because the United won. So, yeah. I am so envious of you because uh, I am a sports fanatic. I remember my mom, who's actually visiting me. I don't know if she's, she probably hear this upstairs, but she uh, always criticized me because I watch sports and because my whole family, my, my, my family didn't watch a drop of it. And then one day when I got into sports, my mom walked to me and she goes, I got something to say to you. I owe you an apology. You've been watching sports all the day, all those days. I thought you were wasting your time, but in reality, you were preparing for your career. So I, yeah. so I was like blown away. But to your point, my dad wouldn't watch sports. I couldn't share that. My son's not into it either. Wow. So I'm just like, I got to live vicariously through you because these stories I absolutely adore yeah. is to see... You know, my uh, I'm, I'm gonna I'm make this a depressing podcast, but I remember watching uh, there was these when the Philadelphia Eagles won, and a friend of mine posted something. He was a big Eagles fan. He's with his dad, and he's holding his dad, and they're crying together. I go, "That's what I want." Yeah, I want to I want to cry with my dad because my team won. Yeah. But alas, I'll cry when you and when Nigeria win a World Cup, and you and your dad are holding each other in tears. Oh my God. The day Nigeria <laughs> wins the World Cup, I think that'll be the day Nigeria as a country finds peace. I think. Wow. Every single war would stop in Nigeria. That would be the day we're like, okay, now we got to do things together. But yeah, it's it's interesting, like how you know, because my growing up in America, like we moved here, like I said in two thousand one, and 
football's always been a big thing in my family. Like I said, my younger brother went professional, played the USL. My cousin played the MLS. So my mom and dad would take me and my brother to our different games each weekend. And to see, like, our parents just completely supported it. So, you know, it's it's insane to see, like, you know, family really enjoying the sport. Because football is football's such a great, you know, bring people together. That's really all I can say. Like, the yeah. sport brings everybody together. So if you, if you I, I'll see if I can get my son to do it. But if you're out there for this World Cup, wherever you are, East Coast, West Coast, get a nice breakfast, watch with your family and enjoy it because those are precious moments. And I hope Nigeria gets that because I think you're absolutely right about the power of this sport and how it brings it together. And it's just a reminder that everyone's watching this, what's going to happen over the next month here. And I just want to be, before we part ways, I wanted to talk about the Premier League because I, you know, I, I, I was a blank slate with the sport. I got into it little by little and then it became, uh, it consumed me. But I remember that first day when I started watching the Premier League and it's a big part of my life too, but just seeing this and the same way you learn about countries in a World Cup, learning about cities and traditions in England. I, I knew so much more about England through the football. That was the entry point. And I became a West Ham fan because I loved Iron Maiden and the guy had a bass guitar with Iron Maiden. And then I know he had his issues, but I loved uh, uh, Paolo Di Canio. Oh my God, Paolo Di Canio, what a legend. What he's a, a legend. Le I mean, people, I, I can't bring him up because he's got, he's, he's got a few skeletons in his closet politically. And yeah. there was this moment where, I forgot who he's playing. The ball gets crossed into him. The goalkeeper's injured on the floor and he grabs the ball out of the air. He goes, I'm not scoring this goal because the goalkeeper's down. And I was like, wow. So it was just those moments in the Premier League that drew you in. I West Ham's my team, same way Manchester United's yours because of what you saw. It wasn't really passed on to you. You had to make that decision yourself, which is very invigorating. I saw somebody who looked like me, Andy Cole. I was a, always loved being a striker growing up. And yeah, funny enough, I met Peter Schmeichel last week. Um, wow. And it's insane for me to see like this guy is who I grew up watching as my goalkeeper. Like that's the guy who, when I think of made out of goalkeepers, obviously yeah, the head now we have Van Sar, but Shemichael was my guy and he's always been my guy. So to see him in person and talk to him is just like, this is why, this is why I watch the sport because now, you know, they always say they'll meet your childhood heroes, but I'm glad I did. So, you know, good guy. What a great, I mean, I haven't, I would look forward to meeting him, but he just comes off as salt of the earth. Good dude. Yeah. Uh, and part of that great CBS coverage, which we can see you. I know you're going to grow into that. And Tosin, you're going to be a rock star in this business. Just having a conversation. It's been a wonderful to, to, to talk with you. Me. Enjoy the World Cup and, and, and enjoy this, this journey where you Thank get you. to make more fans, which is obviously the most important thing we need to do here, covering the sport in this country. Thank you so much for having me, Max. Appreciate that. A uh, good man. Tosin McKinde, Luciano Scametti. Yeah. Nigerian scams on Twitter. Check him out and see what all the great work that he does. We'll be back here on the Soccer OG with stoppage time. I'm going to give you my projected starting 11 for the United States in Qatar. I did want to say hello to the folks at India again, and I'm sure they're listening for my takes on the U.S. men's national team. Maybe they're doing some scouting. We'll mix it up, especially after the World Cup. But we've got to talk about this. And here in stoppage time, I want to give you my starting 11 for the squad. And before we get into that, we talked about it a couple weeks ago where the injury situation for the U.S. was pretty clean. The only injury was Chris Richards. He remains out. And I give him one week to get back. Or uh, he's he's not going to really play in the World Cup. He might make that roster, but I don't think you make the roster if you're not 100%. He's, it's a bigger injury than we thought, and he's had a couple injuries down the road. I just don't think you bring in a player and eat up a spot, uh, especially if you're a defender where you can serve that those extra spots, get a, a striker. You know, we talk about Jordan Peefock. By the way, Jordan Peefock, man. Jordan Peefock has disappeared. Union Berlin still playing well, and they got an incredible victory this weekend. I've been watching their games. Man, the guy doesn't get touches. He gets pulled out early. Something is amok. And it just goes to the conversations that we have on Twitter. Someone scores a couple goals in Europe, but we go away. I'm not saying it's not him. We go way overboard, and now that he's struggling, have you heard a peep about him? It's really bad. Nobody can defend when you were talking about making the World Cup Jordan Peefock. It's weird. Eight touches 
in the Europa League game. I think eight or nine touches in the game. The game. In uh, this uh, comeback victory against Borussia Mönchengladbach. I mean, they were tr- they were trailing a game and they pulled him off basically at halftime. Hopefully it's okay. It's not going to do his chances of making this World Cup any favors. And really, uh, looking at the striker position, and I had, check out the Soccer OG on YouTube under my name, Max Bretos. I had a video about why we should bring in four strikers. I don't know if that's the case now. A, because of the struggles of Jordan Pifok. B, I hope Josh Sargent has a calf injury. It's not too serious. But he missed, uh, he's had a couple, he missed this week. He's had a couple interrupted games, to be honest. Ricardo Pepe didn't score this weekend, but has been scoring. So I watched his game. It was Groningen versus Emmen. The Dutch league is very good when you talk about Ajax, Feyenoord, PSV Eindhoven, and probably Ased Alekmar. And then that's it. Huge drop off to the next teams. We, we can have this silly debate. What's better, MLS or is it the Dutch league or the championship? The Dutch MLS is better than the Dutch league. Although I don't want to get into that argument. I can't prove it. But I, Groningen, I, <laughs> Ricardo Pepe's the best player on that team. And that's not a shot at Ricardo Pepe. But you wouldn't have been able to say that with him at Augsburg. You probably, you could probably say it when he was at FC Dallas, but he was so young. So you'd be a little reluctant to say it. He is their best player. And it's a bit of a drop off. And that opponent they play, I mean, they're a relegation team. So, you know, the Dutch league is built for people to score goals. And case in point, Ricardo Pepe, the latest to really soak it all in. It's a nice league. It's a fun league to watch. Quality-wise, I just don't know. And I'm not trying to diminish Ricardo Pepe, but I just was watching that game. I'm going, man, this is this is rough. <laughs> so you have that. Jesus Ferreira faded down the stretch for FC Dallas. Didn't score many goals in the last couple, even month or so. So all the strikers uh, have a concern. Haji Wright doesn't, but he's not going to make it. So maybe if, assuming Sargent's healthy, maybe the, the one who really misses out here is going to be Pifok because how badly his form has turned. It's not just that he hasn't been able to get involved, but it's just something, it's, just he's in a really bad patch where he's just checked out he's got the yips or something i don't know because it's just like you don't hear him the name you don't hear his name called at all he is nowhere to be seen even the uh, bundesliga announcers say the same thing so we uh we have that we still have to play play a striker the idea that a, a midfielder will play that striker position isn't going to happen so the injuries now add weston mckinney to that list, and we've heard 15 days, and everyone says, well, he comes back from injuries quicker. That's great. Unless he comes back in two days, his World Cup situation is a little perilous because we are less than three weeks away. And Weston McKinney's going to make the squad regardless. It's The, the timing's terrible. I mean, this, again, I, I told you this is going to be a big issue, and it will continue to be so every week. So keep an eye on that. Players getting injured, and because there's no time to recover, they're going to miss the World Cup, by and large, due to relatively minor injuries. And of course, it's not minor if it keeps you out of the World Cup. So Weston McKinney also there. We mentioned Josh Sargent, Chris Richards long-term. Luca Della Torre, he's going to miss the World Cup. So McKinney and Luca Della Torre, that thins out your midfield ranks. Greg Berhalter is going to have to bring in someone. I'm recording this on a Sunday night. He's going to have to bring in somebody to his camp, which goes on for another week, I think, in Dallas. Uh, whether it's the, the names Georgie Mihalovic and Eric Williamson have been bandied about, I don't know. But Luca Della Torre out means he needs a direct replacement. Weston McKinney will make it, but because of the injury, you need a direct replacement that you have to assume is going to play so there you have it it sucks man it really does but that's the way it goes so for all of us who thought that the u.s men's national team clean bill of health was too good to be true it was now i just cross our fingers that we don't hear any other names i'm not going to put any names out there i don't want to jinx it you know who they are we just hope that they can make it like I said, man, I, I I would refuse to play. 
I would refuse to play. And it's not the player's fault. It's not the club's fault. It's the FIFA's fault for doing this. You're too close to what many will believe your could be your only World Cup. It's too much. It's too important. It's too much at stake to go out there and play a hard 90 minute for your club. I know what I'm saying is, is, is scandalous, but at this point, after you've cleared these weeks, if you're still healthy and you're two weeks out, you're like, wait a minute. It's going to be weird. I promise you it will be. And some of these games will be compromised in some way, shape, or form. All right, let's get to the starting 11. I'm pretty excited about it still. Uh, Matt Turner's on that injury list. So I think that I'm going to put Zach Steffen in there because of some of the things we've heard about from the coach about, speaking of Greg Berhalter, about Zach Steffen. Uh, I want Matt Turner in there, but I think Zach Steffen, this injury here doesn't obviously help him. And remember, he's playing limited games. So Zach Steffen, probably going to be your keeper. The left back, the full backs, as advertised, Anthony Robinson has been fantastic. He's had a couple. I've been watching the Fulham games in their entirety. He's been wonderful. Serginho Des had a pretty good game over the weekend. He's going to be your right back. The center backs. Long pause. It's going to be Walker Zimmerman and Aaron Long. Mark McKenzie could get in there, but uh, Aaron Long, who has been, again, the object of discontent, is with the coach every day. That is valuable time for Greg Berhalter. And this is not just something Greg Berhalter does. A lot of coaches are having these camps and the guys that are there that they get to work with have a huge advantage. And they'll get the nod. Unless Mark McKenzie does something spectacular and he's been wonderful. Tim Ream has been incredible. Tim Ream had a man of the match game over the weekend for Fulham. His passing's extraordinary. And I think he could probably get on this squad if for no other reason. It's Tim Ream. He's going to bring you some much needed experience and know-how. And he can play a couple positions. So it's because Long and Zimmerman are there. That's going to be your center back pairing. So that's your back four. There's going to be a change in the midfield. I think you're going to see Tyler Adams and Eunice Moose a little bit deeper. Certainly Tyler Adams will play that deeper role. And even if Weston McKinney's healthy, hasn't been playing great, you've got to find a spot for Gio Reyna. Gio Reyna comes into that midfield. And you've got to have somebody who can take set pieces. Gio Reyna's the guy. No more set pieces for Christian Pulisic. It's not his thing. It is Gio Reyna's thing. He's pretty good at it. We saw Brendan Aronson, who's not going to be in my starting 11. Brendan Aronson, by the way. I'm sorry I waited this long to talk about it. Leeds United going to Liverpool and getting the victory. Yeah, it's not the same Liverpool, but that's a huge win, obviously. It goes without saying. The biggest win for Leeds saves the job for Jesse Marsh. He's going to have the job regardless of the results from this point towards the World Cup. He will be the manager for 2023, at least the beginning of it, which means he gets a transfer window to bring in a striker, some defensive help. He will use that. Brendan Aronson took some set pieces, but I would put Brendan Aronson's performance for Leeds in that victory because of the opponent, because of the venue, Anfield, one of the top five American Americans abroad club performances that I've witnessed. It was that good. He was passing the ball just like... You know, the best the best midfielders in the world or attackers. But he'll come off the bench. We'll get to that. So the midfield is Reyna, Musa, and Adams. Greg Rattles is a Ricardo Pepe guy. He wants a striker. Ricardo Pepe fits his system perfectly. Ricardo Pepe gets the start. Christian Pulisic to the left. Tim Weah to the right. Weah started on the weekend. He is a lock-in starter in ink. So that is your 11 first Wales. I think that's the way Greg Berhalter is going to do it. Maybe McKinney gets in there. I don't see there's any alteration for the other ones. Don't think that he's going to pull Aaron Long here. Maybe Turner, but I, I also doubt it. The only one there is Reyna and McKinney. So then we flip it over to the, mid, the, the bench and look who you can bring in. McKinney, Brendan Aronson, and even Jesus Ferreira. Those are the three guys you bring off your bench to change a game. I think Jesus Ferreira is a, a great sub. 
And even though he's been starting, I think now Ricardo Pepe, healthy and scoring goals, was always... I mean, listen, remember when he... When Greg Berhalter was scouting Ricardo Pepe to be on the national team, it's all that tape that he watched where he saw Jesus Ferreira too and said, oh, I got to bring this guy too. It was like a package deal. But it was always Ricardo Pepe first and then Jesus Ferreira. But Ferreira is a great bench player for 30 minutes. Brendan Aronson goes without saying. And then Weston McKinney for so many reasons. That is your, that's the 14 players that are going to play, I think, in the first game. And then we'll take it from there. The Soccer OG. Make sure you tune in during the World Cup. The Soccer OG. World Cup daily. Every day during the World Cup. Check out the Soccer OG on... It's a simulcast, by the way. So it's going to be video and audio on YouTube as well as the podcast as well. Much more information coming out the week ahead. Check out the Soccer OG on YouTube under my name, Max Bretos. Like and subscribe it there. Like and subscribe. Tell a friend. And we are off and running. Super exciting time to be a soccer fan. Soak it all in. Till the next time, Placido Domingo.